Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. James chapter 3. It was Benjamin Franklin who said, A slip of the foot you may soon recover, but a slip of the tongue you may never get over. (laughs) Pretty wise words, wouldn't you say? And true as well. As we've previously seen in our study going through James back in chapter 2, that second half of chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, the half-brother of our Lord zoomed in on his central message, really, that rings true throughout the entire letter, which is this real faith produces genuine works or deeds. And that's what James continues to say and continues to show up throughout this, this book. We also considered the probing question that the book of James creates throughout its content, which was this. Some of you might remember this from a couple of weeks ago. If you say you believe like you should, why do you behave like you shouldn't. Good question, isn't it? Ironically, having alluded to the fact that words without actions don't do anything, that basically James says they are worthless, he will now address the fact that words themselves can do something. Words can be a form of action and therefore a sign of maturity or the lack of. In fact, in this passage, James shows that our words are the best measure for evaluating maturity. In chapter 3, where we are this morning, in verses 1 through 12, he develops this general theme towards a specific direction, and that direction is controlling the tongue. No other section of the Bible speaks with greater clarity an impact on the potential destructive power of our words. We could summarize this very important passage in the form of a question similar to the previous that I just asked. It would go like this. If you say you believe like you should, why do you say things you shouldn't? (laughs) Good question as well, isn't it? God really does want his people to be mindful of what comes out of their mouths and to display true wisdom because, as we've already said, what we say is indeed a measure of our maturity. Let's look at the first couple of verses of chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Wow. James begins his discussion on the tongue 
with an interesting statement, really, when you stop and think about it. At first glance, it looks like he could possibly be putting down the ministry of teaching in the church, which, of course, is not the case. Not at all. A closer look reveals that he's actually protecting the ministry of teaching in the church. When James says, not many of you should become teachers, which could also be translated as, don't run quickly to the role of teaching, he's giving a warning, not a condemnation. The reason? Because of the power of words. Because teachers... Those who have the responsibility of speaking God's truth fully and accurately will fall under stricter judgment. Why does a teacher receive stricter judgment? By the way, a verse that for years was not one of my favorites. <laughs> this whole deal about coming under stricter judgment. Why does that happen? Several reasons could be listed. One, a teacher is responsible to speak the truth, not just his own personal opinions. Also, what a teacher says affects many lives. The responsibility to handle God's word accurately can't be taken lightly. And I have no problem letting you know that for years and years, as long as I've been doing this, there are often times where there is this heavy weight that seems overwhelming upon me because of the responsibility of doing this very thing. Much like the message that we're talking about today. Yeah. It's a very important message, critical actually, I believe, to our well-being spiritually. And so I want to encourage you to really listen up. Don't allow yourself to drift off into wonderland. Yeah. <laughs> Forget about what happened yesterday. Forget about yes. what you're going to be doing in a few hours. You need to listen. Yes. 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 Seriously. Because this message is for every single one of us. It's, it's serious stuff. Another reason teachers are expected, you know, to, to do it right and are judged with the stricter judgment is because we're not only asked to speak the truth accurately, but you know what else? We're also to, to live what we teach. <laughs> Just as you are to live what you hear and are being taught, amen? amen? We notice that James includes himself in verse two. It, this is good. And when he says that we all stumble in many ways, he's including himself. It's not only to teachers. He is now addressing everyone. Nobody is fallible, infallible. No one is perfect. Everybody stumbles in many ways. But when teachers stumble, they can cause a whole crowd of people to stumble, can't they? The tongue is the teacher's indispensable tool. But when an irresponsible deceptive or errant tongue goes off the reservation, if you will, it can be disastrous. But also notice that this is followed with an interesting promise. It's kind of tucked away in this that I think oftentimes when we read this passage, 
we have the tendency to miss this great and awesome promise. Because there was only one who was perfect, listen to what he says. He says, anyone who was never at fault in what they say is perfect. And you're thinking, who might that be? (laughs) Nobody I know. And then because that is able to keep their whole body in check, there's only one that was perfect, right? Whoever lived, and that one was Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so the logical conclusion then is that every one of us will stumble with our words, will stumble with what we say. We will not be perfect, but the implied promise is the better we get at managing our tongues, controlling our words, the better we will be at everything else with regards to our walk with Jesus Christ. Do you see how it's so connected? This is why it's so important that you listen and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Because like I said, every single one of us, like James has just said, will stumble. We struggle with our words, don't we? And we just take it so lightly. Like it's no big deal. And you know what? God says it's a big deal. It is to be taken seriously because it's connected to our walk of faith. James is saying you get this part a little more controlled and you're going to find it impacting the rest of your walk with Jesus. Now that's a great promise, don't you think? One to take to heart and apply to our lives. And so James is urging self-control. And this self-control actually begins not with the tongue, but right here with the heart. Jesus' words in Matthew 15 sets the theological background for James' practical teaching here in James chapter 3, or in this whole letter actually. In his teaching about the words that we speak, Jesus lets us know that the problem is where what comes out of our mouths comes from. The tongue is just the messenger of what is carried on inside our hearts. Jesus told some Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, that it is from the heart that the mouth speaks, right? And speaking of Pharisees, Jesus addressed the serious responsibility of teachers when he called the Pharisees in Matthew 15 blind guides of the blind who were leading their followers into a pit. James probably has that specific teaching that Jesus gave in Matthew 15 in mind as he's writing this letter to the Jewish Christians who have been scattered throughout that part of the world in the first century because of the persecution. Reading on verse 3, when you put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire 
by a small spark. The tongue is indeed very small. (laughs) But how many of us have not been on the receiving end of a great big huge bark (laughs) that has come from a tongue? How many of us have been the ones giving that? It's extremely powerful. And James wants to impress this fact on our minds so that we will not underestimate the effects that it can have, both positively and negatively. To do so, he gives three analogies, three illustrations here in this passage. And so just as surely as a little bit of metal, a horse's bit, controls a powerful animal like a horse, similarly, the tongue can steer the direction of a person's life. It really does. Second, the tongue is like the the rudder on a ship. Just think of a great cruise ship. We've all seen them, haven't we? I mean, they are basically massive floating hotels. (laughs) And they are steered by just a little flap of metal, really. And that little flap of metal can make that great big cruise ship go wherever it directs. In the same way, the tongue, though small, determines the course of one's life. The first half of verse 5 summarizes the point of these illustrations. Like the bit for the horse, the rudder for the ship, the tongue in relation to the body and yet has powerful potential to achieve great results. Both good and bad, positive, negative. It can stir up violence or promote peace. It can crush the spirit or soothe the discouraged. The first two illustrations, steering a horse and piloting a ship, are neutral. In other words, they could have either positive or negative results. But James's third analogy reminds us of the potential danger of the tongue. He says in verse 5, consider what a great forest is set on fire by just a small spark. We all know the kind of destruction that a forest fire can cause, don't we? We've seen that in massive ways over the past years. By nature, the tongue could serve as a divisive instrument of evil. But listen to me, church, but by grace. By nature, the tongue serves as a divisive instrument, but by grace grace. It can become an instrument of encouragement, healing, and positive blessing. So the tongue relatively weighing, they tell us, for an adult, a mere 20 ounces. (laughs) Relatively light, a mere 20 ounces 
can either bring direction or destruction. Whoa. It says, for truly the power of life and death in Proverbs 18.21 is in the tongue. Our words can build unity or demolish it. We can speak that which encourages fellowship or destroy it. Our mouths can form community or fracture it. The tongue has the ability to do tremendous good, but it also has the potential for enormous harm. James further develops the image of the tongue as we're going to see here, a world of evil and, he says, is untamable. Look at verse 6 with me. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. Let me read that again. It corrupts the whole body, this little part right here corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. James moves to an even more direct picture to demonstrate that the tongue, even though necessary, can be so dangerous. Notice the vivid terms that James uses to describe this tiny muscle lurking behind our teeth. Listen to it. It's a world of evil, he says. It corrupts the whole body, sets the course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Pretty strong words, wouldn't you say? James is saying that the full range of evil, please don't miss this, the full range of evil finds an outlet from our words, from our mouths. Think about that. It is virtually impossible to boil with anger without expressing rage in words, right? We all know this to be true. Bitterness sours our speech. Pride can't stop talking about self. Hate explodes from the mouth. The tongue can suddenly turn an otherwise gentle, kind person into a monster. James says it's a world of evil. Wow. The fire starter that's connected to our mouths can also be, James says, connected to hell. Isn't that interesting? Look at the relationship that he describes here. The tongue is set on fire by hell, and then it sets the entire course of one's life on fire. In the original Greek... The word translated hell is the word Gehenna. The word only appears in Jesus' teaching in the gospel 
and here in James, it's the only place you will see that word being used. Jesus is teaching, and here in the book of James. The word finds its origin and most common usage amongst Jews who would have been familiar with the city of Jerusalem. So James's Jewish Christian audience would have immediately caught the meaning of what James was saying. And it is huge. You see, Gehenna refers to the Hinnom Valley that is just south of the city of Jerusalem. Not to be confused with the Kidron Valley, which is on the east side of the city, which separates Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. But on the south side, you come around the corner, is the Hinnom Valley. Gehenna refers to that in Jewish times, which runs along that south side. In the days of Jesus and James, residents of Jerusalem took all of their garbage and filth to Gehenna, to the Hinnom Valley. In other words, the Hinnom Valley, Gehenna, in the first century in Jesus and James' time was the city dump. And that trash, that garbage would often get burned there, okay? So James was saying then, you know that full, that foul-smelling, smoldering trash dump south of town? And every resident who'd ever been a resident of Jerusalem who had heard about the city dump at Gehenna, the Hinnom Valley, would have understood that. He says, when we start our uncontrolled jabbering, the garbage in our hearts is set on fire and becomes a putrefying sounding smell, if you will. So James is saying, so what's going on with our words? Our mouths let everybody hear. Our mouths let everybody hear the wickedness that is in our hearts. Every time you speak, people, you are letting people know what is right here. That's serious stuff. Next, we see James also referring the tongue to an untamed animal. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me now. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. When I read that part right there, full of deadly poison, you know, I, I, an image comes to my brain, and that image is the, all of the various pictures I have seen over my life of venomous snakes. You've seen them too, haven't you? I don't even like looking at them. They just look bad. <laughs> Snakes, in my opinion, I know some of you probably like them, and some, of, some people even have them as pets. I don't get that. <laughs> but you look at that 
snake and they just look evil. I think of that when I read that part of that verse. It seems we can train almost any kind of animal from snakes to elephants, from tigers to dolphins. But the wild beast-like tongue. <laughs> James says, not so much. In our own energy, we are not able to tame this wild thing. We need the Lord's help. Amen? Because we can't do it on our own. This untamed beast, James says, is a restless evil. Please don't miss the emphasis that James is putting on that term, a restless evil. You might be thinking you don't, you know, you're just joking and you're just this, you're just that. God isn't pleased. He gave us a mouth. He gave us a tongue. He gave us the ability to speak not words of putting one down, not cursing, but blessing and encouraging and speaking life, not death, to one another. We must always keep the tongue under careful guard and never allow it the freedom to roam relentlessly, church. For it is, as James says, full of deadly poison. It's as though we have a capsule of cyanide behind our teeth, ready to break open and spread harmful, toxic words whenever we feel like it. The truth literally is on our own. We don't have the ability to keep it in check. But if we know Jesus Christ personally, that is to make a difference. God's power through the Holy Spirit's presence can transform our hearts and take full control of what comes out of our mouths. As Christ said regarding another impossibility in Matthew 19, with people this is impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. Hallelujah. At this point, what has become, hopefully for every single one of us, unmistakably clear, the tongue then is a window into our souls. Verse 9 and 10. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of our out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. The words that one speaks are not only a great indicator of spiritual maturity or not, it is an indicator of the state of one's heart. The larger overall theme of the Bible when it comes to words is that the right words spoken at the right time with the right attitude brings life. However, 
while the wrong words spoken at the wrong time in the wrong attitude brings death. The real point of verses 9 and 10 is that if our mouths are being used for cursing people and blessing God, it is a true sign that something is terribly wrong at a deeper level with our Christian walk faith maturity. Deeply wrong. After likening the tongue to a fire, a wild animal, and a deadly poison, James backs up his teaching with two more illustrations. I think all of us can relate to James's first illustration from our own experience because we've all been there and done that. <laughs> you're driving along and you're singing a praise song, <laughs> right? This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. And be glad in it. And then all of a sudden, some character cuts you off. You've slammed on the brakes. You've left skid marks on the road. And the groceries that were on the back seat are now scattered all over the floorboard. And you're not singing that song no more. <laughs> You've got a different tune going. Different words are being used. Wow. And so somehow, suddenly, you switched gears <laughs> in your brain, and it's not good. From the same mouth, says James, come both blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, he says, this should not be. James concludes this section by illustrating his point from nature. He says, the spring doesn't produce both fresh water and salt water or contaminated water, and we don't go to grapevines to find figs. We don't pick olives from fig trees. James' point is this, nature is consistent and our mouths once again have been anything but examples of consistency let's read those two verses can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring my brothers and sisters can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs neither can a salt spring produce fresh water this is a sobering thought hopefully forcing us to ask ourselves, where is this inconsistent speech coming from? Or if we're consistently negative or deceitful or bitter, we have to consider what our words are revealing about our hearts, that hearts that are supposed to belong to Jesus, mind you, representing him, his grace, his mercy, his love. Think about that, church. Let that sink in. We are being sinfully inconsistent when we bless God and then turn around and curse 
But notice verse 9, those made in the likeness of God. You might not like this, but this is what James is saying. God is the object of both expressions, blessing and cursing. When you're blessing God, obviously in your mind, you're, you're directing that to him. But you know what James is letting us know? Because of those who we might be speaking horrible words against, James is saying you're actually speaking them against God. Try that on precise. God becoming the recipient of both expressions, the blessing and the cursing. Such a double standard, James is letting us know, is outrageous. And he says, and this should not be. So what can be done? What can we do to keep our tongues from being ignited by the fires of hell? Is there hope? <laughs> well, in Acts chapter 2, we read of another tongue of fire. One which led to worshiping and witnessing. Therefore, I believe that the more time we spend allowing our lives to being filled by the Holy Spirit, praying and worshiping, the more our lives will display and honor the glory of the King of Heaven rather than the pit of hell. In Hebrews 11, we read that the universe was framed by the words of God. By the word of God. So, too, we frame the world in which we live by the words that we speak. Just how it is. Speak words of grumpiness, doubt, fear, cynicism. And that's the world that you and your family will inhabit. But speak words of faith and hope and joy. And even when you're going through hard times and such will be the characteristics. When you're speaking those kind of words of your world. That's the one you will live in and inhabit, which will also impact those around you. What kind of influence, what kind of impact, church, do you want to have on others? A lot of it has to do with what's coming out of your mouths. The Apostle Paul, I mean, if anybody could have complained and griped, it could have been him, right? And who would have blamed him? He could have murmured, he could have complained, he could have doubted, he could have whimpered, and he could have verbally lashed out at those who persecuted him. But that's not what he chose to do. Perhaps it was partly because of the impact that a young man had on him years earlier. Someone who would become actually 
Christianity's very first martyr. I'm speaking of Stephen. And in Acts chapter 7, you read the story. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, made the religious crowd of his day upset and mad, and they didn't want to hear what he had to say about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so they're gonna, they want to get rid of him. And he's, you know, in their, in their midst, and you read the passage there in Acts 7, and they're angry, and they're seething, and they're gritting their teeth. <laughs> they're just upset. And, and we don't find James getting all full of anxiety. We don't find him full of fear. We find him filled with grace and peace. And in the midst of that kind of turmoil and chaos and persecution, he looks up. Church, it's always good to look up. Amen. Amen. He looks up and it says that the heavens were opened and he sees Jesus standing at the throne of God. Wow. And then he lets them know what he has just seen and that didn't help his case any. They cannot stand it. They cover their ears. They grab him, take him outside of the city, and begin to stone him. You and I at that point, we, um, we might not be thinking good things about these people. We might be at that point saying some things that would not bring honor to God, even though we might be thinking they're deserving of some harsh words, some cussing out. It's not what, Jane, or what Stephen does. You know the story, most of you. While the stones are coming at him, hitting him, perhaps maybe even knocking him down, blood beginning to flow, he doesn't cuss him. He says, Lord, don't lay this charge to them. Similar to what Jesus said on the cross. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. When we look up and truly see Jesus, we have no other choice but to be amazed at his grace and to be at peace with everybody else. All others, regardless of who they are, what they've done, what they look like, regardless. Which will be noticed. Which will be noticed by what comes out of your mouth. Will it be blessing? Will it be cursing? Positive or negative? Hopefully, blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning and once again we have been we've been talked at <laughs> by the spirit of God. Every single one of us struggle in this area of words, this area of our tongue and the lack of it being under control. And I think probably far too often we we've taken that lightly. 
I pray, God, that you speak to us, that you show us, that you reveal to us the seriousness of our words and how it is so connected to the rest of our walk with you. So, God, I pray that this window to our souls that we reveal every time we open our mouths will be a good picture and that that picture would be others seeing and hearing Jesus in and through our lives. May we honor you. May we honor you with what comes out of our mouths. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up my heart.